everyone, welcome back. It's Game Talk Radio. I'm back. How you doing? It's been a hot minute. For that, I do apologize. You know, I uh, I always say I quite enjoy doing this, but uh, man, life has just been kicking my butt up and down, super busy. Um, and so, unfortunately, as something I love to do, this is a great project. I love I love being a part of it. I love doing this. It's something that unfortunately actually costs me money. It doesn't make any money. So when the rubber meets the road, I got to stick to my main gig. Got to stick to the game store and make sure that that's not only uh, working, but it's flourishing. And um, and we have been. It's been great. Um, the uh, the last year has been insane um, sales-wise, you know, with everyone being locked up essentially. And I'm not necessarily proud of this, but it is the fact of the matter. But like our business did well in that sort of pandemic. And so, uh, you know, it is what it is. Um, and because that we were busier, um, and not to mention the stress with all of the extra, you know, uh, policies with the mask wearing and all stuff. So that, that sort of stuff really amplified the stress levels that we were already kind of feeling, right? Cause we were already busier. Uh, and I know there's a lot of people out there, um, annoyingly so, who might think, hey, man, you just work in a video game store. Just shut up, man. Hey, man, you shut up, man. You got like the best job on the planet and you're so lucky, man. I wish I could leave your dream. And, and to that, I say I am very lucky and, and I am living my dream. And so I'm not saying any of that's wrong, but I will not, I've, I've always had an issue with people talking about like my job being easy or with my job not being work. Now, are there people that work a lot harder? Probably, probably, I, I, I guarantee um, if you're a police officer, uh, you know, I got to give a shout out here to a good friend of mine, Kyle. He, uh, he works way harder than I do at his job, <laughs> probably. Um, I sure hope so, because his job's a lot harder than mine. And that's okay, right? That's not the path I chose, not what I wanted to do. I chose video games because I, I love them as a hobby, but I also work very, very hard to make sure that my store is, in my opinion, the best goddamn game store that exists. And, and I think it is. And I think it is. And that might be, uh, you know, arrogant hubris on my part, but I'm just going to say, I think it's the best, it's the best damn game store I've ever been to. So if you have a game store, you think it's the best one you've ever gone to, you give me that address and I'll go there and I'll love going there because I love going to game stores. Who doesn't? But I work very hard to like make sure that my store is the pinnacle, the peak of what uh you know like a mom and pop game store should be. Am I successful at that? I think so. If you've never been to my store, you'll have to come and talk to me about it. And if you ever come to my store and you don't feel that way, then you tell me and you tell me what's wrong and we'll fix it. That's kind of how I like to do the whole sh shebang. I like to do the whole spiel. Um. So with that being said. I'm back, man. I, I just came back for for this. You know, there was gonna be there was gonna be something, right, that was gonna bring me back that I really wanted to talk about, and I finally found it because ultimately, what led to taking the hiatus on the podcast was, I just felt like I was looking for a story every week, and you know, and it's kind of like I I, I I rag on this a lot, you know, in other forms of media, but I really don't like the 24 hour news cycle. You know, I think it's really detrimental to our lives when all we're hearing about, like, like, there's news stations that have to make money. So if there's no exact news, then they have to essentially just find something to report on. And I felt like that's what I was doing every week. It was like, well, there's not really anything good this week. Um, well, this game developer, uh, you know, said something on Twitter about this. So let's just talk about that. And I was like, I was, I didn't have any passion for that. You know, I didn't have any fire for that. And so I thought, I, I got to find that again. And at first I thought maybe it was just like I was burned out on doing the podcast. And that's absolutely not it. In fact, I'm, I'm, I'm jazzed right now. Like I'm really, really excited for this. 
Um, I think more what it was is I was bored with just picking a story and being robotic about it. You know, that was never my intent with this was never to like be a weekly show. And then, you know, even though I did that for like four years straight, (laughs) it was never my intent to be a weekly show that was just doing anything to cover anything. I I don't want that. I don't want that. So, um, I'm back and will, will I have another episode next week? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe, probably not, but it will not be. Here's what I will guarantee you. It will not be as long between the last episode and this episode as it will be between this episode and the next episode. I can promise you that. And while I'm talking about this, I will give a quick shout out. I already mentioned it, but I want to give a shout out to Kyle because he came into my store and he was like, Hey man, not do the podcast anymore. And it, I was, I felt guilty about it a little bit, but that's not why he mentioned it. Um, but I wanted to let you know, cause I, if you, if you're listening, hopefully, you know, you still are that, uh, you know, I, um, I appreciate that, man. Like, like hearing that people like it and miss it makes a big difference. So then my second shout out is going to, uh, Twitter, uh, a user. Oh gosh. I don't want to lose it. Uh, Mr. Bluebeard. Sorry. I, I, I shouldn't, uh, I should have had this all up, uh, before I, before I went nuts with it. Uh, Mr. Bluebeard. Yes. Captain Bluebeard on Twitter you know, you reaching out and saying that you like, you really like the show. And then you had, you, I think it was a couple weeks ago. You had mentioned like, Hey, uh, is Spotify working? Cause I didn't see your new episode up. And I was like, Oh no, <laughs> I don't have a new episode. Um, but that also just like somebody saying, you know, Hey, I like your show. I I listened to every one of the episodes and I'm out of them. And then this morning actually tweeted out at me and said, Hey, you know, what other podcast can I listen to? Unfortunately, I'm all done with yours. And I'm like, no, you know what? You're not done with mine because I got one coming. Now, I didn't just do this as of today. I actually had planned this yesterday when I was tweeting everything out. I'm like, you know what? I, I got a podcast about this. Um, but I wanted to say it does mean a lot to me. You know, people always tell you when you're wrong or have a bad opinion. So when people tell you that they like your opinion or that they like what you do, it's very invigorating. It's very uh, energizing. So thank you. Mr. Bluebeard, thank you, Kyle, man, for keeping on my case. And uh, and it's going to be good. I, we're going to do this more frequently. Um, and then as for John, um, you know, so he, he's a he's a good friend of mine. Uh, and part of the issue with the podcast is that weekly rotation was always, let's do it Tuesday night. Let's find some topics. I email John earlier in the day or I text him earlier in the day. Here's what we're talking about. And it was just very robotic. So a lot of these are going to come more off the cuff now. Like they're just going to be like, you know what? I'm going to sit down. I'm going to podcast about it may not be regularly, may not even be on Tuesdays. I really, I really don't know um, how it's going to kind of pan out. I want to get John involved. Um, we just work different schedules. And so sometimes it's going to work out and sometimes it's not. But um, I know he's listening to this as well. And John, if you're listening, don't worry, baby. I got you. I, I didn't forget about my sweet boys. I don't forget about my sweet, sweet boy. Um, <laughs> but um, with that being said, so um, it, it, the story we're going to be talking about today, uh, I was on a tweet storm yesterday about it. Uh, basically, and this this is something, follow me on Twitter at GameTradeGreg. Uh, you're going to see two things pretty often. One, you're going to see me uh, cleaning up the shittiest, dirtiest games you've ever seen and somehow returning them to uh, perfect condition or near as perfect as I can get them condition. And two, you're going to see me tweeting out about stupid stories, I think, like this. Um, also calling out stupid stuff. And every now and then, I share some weird treasures that I find, either rare items that come into the store or I'll tweet about like like last night I was digging in the back for a Metroid booklet to find one that was a little nicer than the one I was I had for a boxed copy of Metroid in my store. And I'm going through the back and I find this Metroid booklet that has the 
you know, you look at the front, you can see a little indentation on the other side of the front page. So you're like, what the hell is this? And you open up the front page and it's the code for Justin Bailey, which if you've never played the original Metroid, you enter Justin Bailey and you start Metroid as uh, Samus without the outer suit. So I guess maybe that's her zero suit in that game. I don't know. But anyway, that's how you do the reveal that, uh, you know, and play as Samus without her spacesuit on. So you're like, whoa, Samus is a, is a, is a woman. This is awesome. So... Uh, so I just thought it was neat. You know, somebody wrote that code in their booklet so they wouldn't forget that the coolest, uh, you know, one of, one of the greatest, like, codes um, and one of the most well-known Easter eggs, like, of all time. Uh, and so that, that's what you get when you follow me on Twitter. So I highly recommend that. Follow me on Twitter, at GameTradeGreg. Follow John on Twitter, at DryerCombo. He also has some some nice funny takes, and he likes to tweet out a lot of, uh, a lot of nonsense, which I love. Um, and again, I'll give you a reminder at the end. Of course, uh... Also, subscribe on YouTube. Now, I haven't done any YouTube content in the same amount of time that I haven't done. In fact, longer time than I haven't done any um, podcasting. Because normally I take my podcast, I cut it up, and I throw it up on YouTube. So today that's not happening. Uh, or or should, I, should I say in the past that hasn't been happening. Today I believe I'm going to put this one up because I think this is a good one. Um, I almost came out of retirement for the Billy Mitchell stuff um, that came out like a couple weeks ago. But I'm just I'm, – I'm, I'm done. That's, <laughs> that's, that's free views. That's like free internet points. I could just – I could drop a Billy Mitchell video and get, I don't know, 20,000 views in like a week. Um, but I don't want that. And in fact, I'm just done talking about him. Plus it's just news that he's suing somebody else who talked about him. So really it's just more of what we already know is that he's a, he's a, a, a dink. <laughs> so, uh, who cares? Let's not waste any time on such a, such a, 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 an awful human being. So, uh, with that being said, then, uh, we're talking about this Mario story before I do that. I want to talk a little bit about, um, my collecting and stuff because I haven't, so I don't have a game of the week or anything this week. Uh, I don't have like my pickup pile of the week. I can't really do because since the last podcast, I've probably put about 300 games in my collection. It has been a weird, wild spring. So there's been a lot of stuff like, for instance, I've been retail therapying a lot of stuff on eBay. So I've been buying some weird imports and some wacky stuff. I've been buying a ton of stuff at the store. So there's been some just incredible trades coming into the store which I end up buying most of, thus not making any profit on any of it. Uh, and then uh, I just picked up a huge collection. I bought a huge collection from someone on Friday, and even that had a ton of stuff I needed out of it. So I've I've put realistically 300-plus games in my collection. Also, so a lot of things have happened since the last podcast, so I'm going to kind of break it down. I, I turned 40 uh, since the last podcast, so I'm officially over the hill and uh, on my on my decline now, although I don't think I'm going to make it to 80. I'm definitely on, <laughs> on the back half, on the back slide of my life for sure. There's no more like climbing the mountain. I am I am now trying to slow the slide down this hill, uh, leading ultimately to my um, <laughs> impending doom. Um, but uh, I, I, I turned 40. Um, we uh, the the. You know, the CDC recommended that if you're vaccinated, you don't have to wear masks anymore. So we don't wear masks at the store anymore. We don't require it unless you're not vaccinated. So we have signs up for that. So we don't have to wear uh, our masks at the store anymore. My staff is fully vaccinated. Our immediate families are fully vaccinated. So it's like, it's just excellent. Like there's this kind of, like everything's better since the last time I've talked to you, minus being older. Um, uh, I have less hair and I have more fat. <laughs> But other than that, it's pretty much been about the same. But one of the things I did, one of the projects I finished just last month was I redid my game room and I added, oh man, I added the capacity for about, 
If I had to guess, let me do a quick count. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, I added space for about 700 more games. So I've been a little looser on what I've been picking up because my original collection idea. So for those of you who haven't listened before or have and maybe not know this, when I opened my store 10 years ago, I sold my entire collection. Now, to be fair, my collection was not anywhere near what it is now, but I sold my entire collection to open the store. So I've spent the last 10 years rebuilding my collection, but then I thought to myself, hey, self, everything in this store you technically own. So if you go up to my store and you see all the games on the shelf, those are mine. I personally own all of that. I don't have any partners or anything like the business is strictly mine. Well, that's not true. I have a wife now, so she gets half. (laughs) (laughs) when when she inevitably leaves because because i'm so obnoxious um so uh i don't have any partners or anything all this stuff's mine so my collection at home i thought well what can i do at home i can't just collect every game i have here because what's the point you know i mean i I own all this stuff i mean it's mine i don't want my collection at home just to be a a recreation of the store so early on in my collecting days i said well here's what i'll do i'll get all the games i used to play when i was younger I'll play them again today, and if they're as good as I remember, I'll get them and put them in the collection, but I'll only put them in mint in box. Dead mint in box. Not sealed. Dead mint in box. And so I, that was my quest, and I've, I've loosened up on that now. Not everything is mint anymore because it's just hard to find boxed NES games at all. Um, but I've, I've also gotten away from the I have to play it when I was a kid or and still like it nowadays. Like there, I've got some real shitters in my collection. <laughs> I talk about that all the time. Like I've just got games that suck, and that's fine because it's fun. Um, so, but I, but I added the capacity for like 700 more games in my collection. So I was like, okay. So I started slowly adding games to it and I'm like, okay, okay. And, and it was weird stuff. Like, so for instance, um, I have the Prince of Persia trilogy on PS3. So I've got the, all the, all three PS2 Prince of Persia games on PS3, ultimately the better versions of those games and a more convenient way to play them, arguably. So then I thought, well, I don't have to collect the PS2 ones. But when I was playing the games when I was younger, I was playing the PS2 version. So now, I, instead of not having the PS2 ones because I have the better version on PS3, I'm collecting the PS2 ones. So I picked up the two God of War games, the three Devil May Cries, the three Prince of Persia. Like, I'm, I'm going through and getting stuff like that. Games that are just good, but before I didn't get them because I essentially had, I guess, kind of minimized my collection. Like, like trying to fo- hyper-focus it. And now I'm in the uh, hoarding phase of my collecting where I'm just putting a bunch of dumb shit in it. And then eventually one day I'll be like, wow, I have too much stuff, dude. And then I'll go through and I'll pull it all out. But that's another day. That's another month. That's another year somewhere down the road. So let's move on from that. But that's what's been happening with me. And I, I hope everyone listening, I hope you're doing well. I hope everything's been going better for you. I hope things are on the way up. Um, I know I have some listeners like in the UK, uh, across the pond, as they say. And I, I hope you all doing well, too. I know that there's some some stuff there where you guys are like like the the restrictions on on everything are being lifted but there's a lot of rising cases and there aren't a lot of people vaccinated so i hope everyone's doing fine over there as well and and i hope everyone obviously here in the states is doing well too because man i just want everyone to be happy i want everyone to be happy and like pleasant you know is that so hard like like i don't i don't want to be fake but i want to be nice and happy and pleasant I feel like too many people are angry and, and even, even myself, like when I was doing this a couple years ago, right, I used the word rant, like Greg rants, you know, and I changed the word to Greg talks because I don't want, I didn't want it to be like, 
I don't want to be angry all the time. And I don't want to rile you people up to be angry. You know, I want to look at situations like we're going to be talking about this Mario 64. We're going to, we're going to be talking about this, and I, but I want to talk about it in like an intelligent way so that you can talk to somebody else about it in an intelligent, calm way and just call out what it is. Call out the nonsense, call out the weirdness, but not just get so fired up that like as soon as you're done listening to this, like you just want to go outside and start just punching windows, you know, just be like, yeah, yeah, baby, yeah, you know. <laughs> If that's something, is that something people do? I don't, I don't know. I don't get so mad that I punch things. Um, not that I haven't in the past, but I don't anymore. Uh, so with that all being said, oh my God, what an intro, a 16 minute intro. With that being said, let's get to it. Okay, everybody. Uh, as I stated earlier, we're going to be talking about a sealed Mario 64 selling for $1.5 million at auction. Yes, $1.5 million. You heard that right. Um, you're not going to believe this, everybody. If you've listened to my podcast before, or you've seen my videos before, you're not going to believe who it is, of course, but what's the auction company that had such an expensive piece? Well, of course, it was Heritage Auctions. Um, <laughs> not that they only do video game stuff, but they're always, anything that's high ticket like this, it's always them. Well, guess what? The item's graded, too. Of course it's graded. Guess who it's graded by? <laughs> It's graded by WADA, man. I mean, who else is there? VGA's out there, but they don't do anything to, like, expand their popularity. Whereas it's seeming seemingly WADA's only mission in life is to grow their notoriety, if it were. Uh, and so this this was just the headline, right? So I, And there's actually a couple parts to this. I want to talk about the obvious, which is the, the item selling for this much. I want to talk about some of the misinformation there is out there. But besides that, I want to also talk about how the media covers these sort of stories and how they're quite um, irritating, <laughs> frankly, because they don't go into any detail necessarily about the transaction. They just want to report on the big number, get the clicks, get the comments, and get out, which I guess is ultimately you know, how everything works now <laughs> with the internet because they just want people to click through and go to their stupid website. Um, so let's get through the article first. This is the article as it showed up on Kotaku, and then I'll kind of go to my tweets later. Um, the article, a sealed copy of Super Mario 64 just sold at auction for $1.5 million. A highly rated and completely sealed copy of Nintendo 64 classic Super Mario 64 sold at auction for a jaw-dropping $1.5 million. Now, technically, it was $1.3 million, and then the there's the um, the fees for the auction house and everything brought it up to $1.5. So the, the buyer is paying $1.56, but it's not actually what it bid out for. It bid out at $1.3 million. But obviously to inflate the price, right? This is this is an issue right away. This is like the first issue I have with the um, with the way the media cover this is either one they don't understand, or like how the auction system works, or they're purposefully being disingenuous to inflate the price. Either way, it's it's crap. You know, um, this beats the previous record for a single video game auction, which was held by an ultra rare copy of Legend of Zelda, just a few days ago. And that game sold for $870,000 on July 9th. Auctioned off through popular auction house Heritage Auctions, this copy of Super Mario 64 was given a 9.8 rating on the WADA scale. As a result of this high rating, Heritage says it's just one of fewer than five known sealed copies in this incredible condition. The auction started on July 9th and ended today on July 11th. Even before the auction had started, this copy of Mario 64 was making headlines with its $100,000 starting price. So before I move on, let me uh, let me let me hit a couple things here, right? So I thought I'd get through the article and then attack it, but I think I'm just gonna do it piece by piece because I want to make sure I don't miss anything. So let's talk about the WADA scale. 
Um, so my, my first issue here is that um, heritage auctions, of course, now they're of course going to say things that make themselves look better. It's, it's a no brainer. Like they're in the, they're in the industry of marketing themselves. It's fine. But heritage auction says it's just one of fewer than five known sealed copies in such incredible condition. I tweeted this out yesterday. There's no way to know that there's absolute, or is a Sunday, Sunday or Monday? doesn't matter. There's no way to know that, that there's only less than five copies. Now you could say there's less than five sealed copies that are graded because WADA knows if they've graded them or not. So that's fair to say if they had said, you know, we've only ever graded one of these in this condition. Okay. Like I can buy that, but it's, <laughs> it's fewer than five known sealed copies in such incredible condition. It's such a, um, it's such an ingenuous way of talking about it, right? Because yes, they may not know about it exists. Now you can go on eBay right now and there's like, I don't know, hundreds of sealed copies of Mario 64. Now, to be fair, you have to weed out things like player's choice and you have to weed out ones that look like someone sat on them and you'd weed all that out. And I would say there's probably 20 to 30 that look to be in the same condition as this. Now, obviously not graded by WADA. They're not graded at all, um, but they look to be in roughly the same condition. Now, it's a 9.8 rating. Now, when you think about 9.8 out of 10, you think, oh my God, this is incredible. Um, it's got to be the highest rating ever given to anything. In comic book grading, I don't think you can get above a 9.5 unless the book was completely uncirculated. It almost has to go right from the machine into the box to the auction company to get anything above a 9.5. I'm pretty sure, unless it's above a 9.8, I, I, I'm not 100% super clear on comic book grading, um, but I know that getting like a 9.8 is nigh impossible there. So I went to Wada's website, and bring it up here, and this is... On their website, okay, this is Wada's own website. This is Wada's own resource. This is what box they claim is a 9.8 quality. Okay, so I want to bring this up. This is something else I tweeted out too because I see three major flaws in this box right off the get-go. So I know for the podcast listeners, I'll explain it. I know it's kind of, <laughs> you're listening, not watching. So I know it's frustrating for you, but don't worry. I'll describe everything. So what we're looking at here is an NES game called Mendel Palace. Uh, kind of a fun game, actually. Um, it's a, a bright purple box. Got some pretty rad art on the cover, actually. And I'm looking at the box from the front view. So on the right side of the box, about two-thirds of the way up the box, there's a very visible crease in the box. Very, very visible. That's the first thing I noticed. Um, the second thing I noticed is along the top of the box up here, there's a whole bunch of wear on the flap. Basically that's where someone kept opening and closing it and accidentally like not closing it properly. So it kept like clipping the edge and just wearing off the paint of the box a little bit. And the third one, while a little harder to see is actually probably the worst part of the box on the left-hand side, about two thirds of the way down, there's this really big kind of crease fold right here. Now the glare makes it kind of hard to see, but you can see it right here. There's like this kind of bubbling rippling and that's kind of streaks up to about here. Okay, so this now, again, I'm not saying that they claim that the game's going to be perfect. Someone on Twitter actually kind of came after me and said, you know, you know, a 9.8 doesn't mean it's perfect. And I said, no, that's exactly it. That's exactly the point I'm about to make, because if 9.8 isn't perfect, then how in the hell can Heritage say that there's fewer than five in existence? It's not acting like it's some perfect specimen. If it was perfect, they would have given it a 10.0. That, I would argue, makes sense as to why it would be 
you know, in this league of its own. But according to their own website, 9.8 has defects in the box. So to assume that there's other sealed games that that would be in this roughly this kind of condition, but only five of them is nonsense, especially for a game, okay, like Mario 64, which sold roughly 12 million copies. Um, now, again, that's, that's the life of the game. So you can't count that as that's not first print run, but you have to assume that at least they made enough copies for every N64 system that was shipped day one. It was one of the only launch titles for the N64. So they were obviously going to make enough copies of this game for everyone who had a system to get the game. So there are a lot of copies of this game out there. Why this game of all games is higher than that Legend of Zelda went or higher than you know the original Mario Brothers with the sticker, sticker seal went that's kind of what doesn't make sense. You know, th- th- what, why this one of all games? Not talking about Mario 64 is an incredible game. It's incredibly iconic. Um, but why this one would be somehow more collectible than ones that are way harder to find in great shape. Um, to find a, a this condition copy of like an original Mario Brothers or a Legend of Zelda, way more impossible than to find a 64 game. I mean, 64 games have a much greater chance of being found in, in good condition. So, um, uh, the article, so, so that's kind of what I want to talk about with their scale. That's why I had to stop on that point first, because their scale shows that a 9.8 is not perfect. So if you know a 9.8 is not perfect and has obvious box flaws, how can you claim that there are less than five in existence of something in this nice a condition when by your own scale, it's not really that nice a condition. It's not perfect. If it were a 10.0, I wouldn't be making that point. So I'm going to move on. After selling for $1.5 million today, this new record for a single video game auction beats out the record set of $870,000. Before that, the record was held by an early copy of Super Mario Brothers, which we talked about, uh, for $660,000 in April. The new record of $1.5 million is more than double the old record set in April and is nearly double the more recent $870,000 record held by The Legend of Zelda. Now, the author of the article goes on to uh, put his opinion in there. All this money being sent on video games makes me feel a bit sick. I can only imagine that even a fraction of all this cash could help so many people around the world. Yeah, we get it. You know, I mean, like, yeah, rich rich people spend money on dumb stuff. Um, if it's, in fact, rich people. So the, the issue I have, so let me talk about this before I move on to the next article, because they, they did fix it a little bit. So I tweeted this out and said, it would be nice if, what did I say exactly here? Uh, let me see if I can find it. So I would, I said... I have low expectations for Kotaku, but it would be nice if they would talk about the relationship between WADA and Heritage and most of these high-priced games being bought by partnerships of people that work at these companies. Now, uh, I read through the second bit of the article, and we'll we'll get to it in a little bit. Now, apparently, this copy of Mario 64 was bought by uh, an average, I won't say average, a, a regular person not affiliated with either Heritage or WADA. That's what Heritage Auction is claiming. I mean, we only know what we know. We can only trust what we can trust. Um, but that's ultimately what they say. Um, so then this article was a couple hours later and the headline's a little different. Sealed Mario 64's record breaking 1.5 million sale has retro experts skeptical. So they finally were like, Hey, let's ask some questions about this. Let's not just accept the heritage and WADA press release. Let's actually look into this. And so 
They don't do a very good job. They do a better job. It's not very good. Um, they go on again to recap. Mario 64 is not one of the oldest or rarest games by any stretch, but it didn't stop it from selling for $1.5 million. A factory sealed copy of 9.8A++ went for $1.5 million. Again, though, they're being disingenuous about the price. It sold for $1.3 million. That's what the auction price was. They're adding like the buyer's fees and the, the auction house fees on top of that. So it's kind of like... I mean, yes, I guess, but that's not what it sold for. I mean, I know it's a little, it's a little detailed, but it's there again. They're trying to pop out and get the headline 1.5 mil sounds better than 1.3 mil. I guess I don't know. Doesn't to me, but anyway, uh, setting a new record, yada yada yada. It's also just under half of what the copy of Action Comics number one, which is the first appearance of Superman, back in 1938, went earlier this year. So it's half of that. So uh, uh, Mario 64 in mint condition, sold for half of what the first appearance of frickin' Superman <laughs> comic book sold for. <sighs> um, uh, it goes on to say, let's see here, um, all these are obscenely high prices that would be unthinkable just a few years ago. The bubble around them seems due at least in part to the new groundswell in collector interest, not just for video games, but for all sorts of other collectibles, um, which is true. And there's actually, two years ago we talked about this, some collector bragged about spending a couple hundred thousand dollars on like 20 games. It was some dentist. And he was talking about how he, you know, he bought like a Donkey Kong for Super Nintendo for two grand and all sorts of, and at the time we were like this is crazy. Now that investment has paid off. If he if that person were to sell those right now, he'd probably triple or quadruple his investment. Now, arguably, if you'd invested all that in crypto that many years ago, you probably could have done the same thing. But if you want to invest in video games, that's fine. I don't have an issue with it. It's just like you can look at this and say, Wow, you know, he made so much money investing in video games, maybe I should do that. And you can think, well, investing is a very good idea. It doesn't have to be video games. Just because you like video games doesn't mean that's where you should put your money and invest it. Um, so uh, <laughs> the, uh, the Kotaku article goes on to say, what makes this particular copy of Super Mario 64 so special? The short answer, no one's quite sure. Quote, well, I figured the first million dollar game was imminent, but I didn't think it was going to be today or this. Editorial director at Digital Eclipse, who also writes for Kotaku occasionally, um, Chris Kohler. Uh, he tweeted out over the weekend. The somewhat longer answer is that video game rarity has different forms. Mario 64 sold close to 12 million copies back in the day, but the packaging was notoriously damage prone. A pristine copy like the one sold at auction is therefore arguably in a league of its own. So yes, I mean, I agree with that, except that, I mean, yes, N64 boxes suck ass. Um, the quality was terrible and even brand new ones shipped out of boxes weren't always perfect, but I, I'm, I just, again, the, the whole way that they try to always say that they are the experts on what actually exists out there. I just, you know, I don't, I don't buy that. Um, uh, the article goes on to say, quote, there are discussions of how many first print sealed Mario 64s may exist, but no matter what the number is, there are certainly only a tiny fraction in 9.8 a plus plus Dennis Khan said the CEO of WADA games, which rated this particular copy of Mario 64. We often receive factory case packs of N64 games where all six copies included have not been circulated. Even in these undistributed case fresh copies, most often the results end up with two or fewer 9.8s and sometimes and oftentimes none. So that's basically what the guy from WADA is saying is that people are sending him sealed boxes of six. So N64 games shipped to retailers in boxes of six. So you'd get a little cardboard box with six N64 games in it, all brand new. And then you would unpack those. I actually used to do this when I worked at, um, it was software, et cetera back then, but eventually became GameStop. And 
you would like you'd get a, a, a basically it was like a case of 24 and then there were like you know four boxes of six packs in each box and then you'd unpack those and, and inventory everything um, but again this is always the guy right i know he's the ceo of wada games but this is always who they talk to when they want to have questions about the rarity of something whatever why do they keep asking the guy who completely profits off the bubble movement of this expanding why do they always ask that guy why these things are rare they're rare because they're inflating the prices i mean that's just the truth of the matter is that th what they've done with their marketing and their outreach is they're they're pushing this narrative of their collected games being more rare and expensive um, so he says, he goes on to say, WADA games has awarded perfect tens. Those are reserved for games that are quote, not only in immaculate condition, but that are also manufactured perfectly. As a result, he says 9.8 A++ A++ is probably the highest possible condition anyone's ever likely to find Mario 64. So here we are again with this, this super collector who needs to hype up his business and push all of the he needs to push the hype levels. He's the one saying then, well, it's 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 the highest condition you'll ever see. It's the highest condition you'll ever see, according to him. Even though he literally just said they have awarded perfect tens before. <sighs> I, I guess I, <laughs> I'm exhausted by it all. And I'm exhausted that like these articles are basically fluff pieces for WADA games and heritage auctions. Like who out there is going to look into this more and do some actual journalistic work. I'm not a journalist, right? I'm just, uh, I'm, I just own a video game store and I like talking about video games and I have a podcast and I have a YouTube channel. So I just talk about this stuff. It's my opinion. But where's the actual journalist, right? Where's Schreier on this, right? Where's Jason Schreier and all this where, you know, he likes talking about um, like exploitation of the video game industry as far as its workers go. Well, let's, let's get on this. Come on, man. You got, you got resources. I want, I want him on this. Um, so the next part of the article that said, even with a 9.8 a plus plus rating, no one was expecting Mario 64 to fetch a small fortune, a 9.4 a plus graded sealed copy of the game sold for only $38,000 on heritage auction back in January. Okay. 9.4 a plus, which I'll bet you we could find a quote back then from Dennis Khan saying, this is probably the nicest condition you'll ever find this in probably the nicest condition you'll ever find this in. Um, so back in January, 9.4 a plus sold for 38,000, a 9.2 a graded copy sold for 7,000 last year. Um, in other copies of the game in a similar condition sold below 10,000 on eBay earlier this well as well. 1.5 million, even including any sellers and buyers fees, they finally mention it, is still completely out of left field. A 9.4 A++ graded copy of the game sold at the same time only went for $28,000. Can a marginal grading difference really be worth seven figures? The article asks. Um, quote, it barely hit five figures outside of heritage preservationist and director of the video game history foundation frank cafaldi told kotaku in a direct message i 100 agree it being a 9.8 puts it in a different completely different level but a sudden jump from 30k to 1.5 million feels wrong end quote now here's another thing i i've i've interacted with frank before i love what he's doing i love the the video game history foundation that's good stuff by the way donate if you can um we we try to send him magazines that he may not have that he's trying to scan in 
but I wish that they would pull out this emotional side of the argument, right? Like he, like he, the way he words it, the jump from 30,000 to 1.5 million feels wrong. Stop saying it feels wrong. It, it is not accurate. And then go find some facts to back it up. Um, I just, I just hate that sort of like, well, it feels wrong because there's just like, forget feelings. Let's talk facts. Um, the head of WADA games whose own business interests are obviously tied up in the health and growth of the collectible market isn't so sure. See, thank you at least for putting one line in there, Kotaku, that at least tries to question the idea that the people in charge, the inmates are running the asylum, if you will. Um, <laughs> quote, in other spaces such as comics, coins, or sports cards, the difference between the second highest grade and the highest grade can be a 2x multiplier in value and sometimes much more. Dennis Khan said, attaining the finest known example from a condition standpoint drives a certain type of collector's behavior, specifically the collector who wants the absolute best, end quote. Um, yes, so there's some fact there where, yes, it, like for instance in comic book grading, if you, the difference between an 8.5 and a 9 can be big. It can be big. It can be double the price. Uh, it can be triple the price. It's possible. 38,000 to 1.5 million is like, I don't even know the math. Is that 45 times the price? I don't don't even, I don't even know. I don't even know, but it's way more like this is, this is, and, and this is what I love about is that the article goes on to say, but even he can't really explain it. All that being said, this price is still shocking, but shows the level of emotion involved in how prices are realized in an auction scenario. So, and he said, in this case of several collectors, at least two who fit the profile of wanting the absolute best of an iconic relic of pop culture that exists. This is economics of a collectible market at play. And we get to see some incredible things happen. Uh, yeah, I guess I mean, like it's so it's totally possible. This is something that is true. I buy a lot of stuff on eBay. I, I buy a lot of auctions. And at the last minute, sometimes you spend more than you want to because you want the item and you want it in the shape you want it. And I get that. But the idea that, like the last one that sold in in worse shape was 38. Why would anyone be pushed to the 1.5, 1.3 million number? You know, I mean, like that's it's such a stupid huge jump. You know what I mean? Um, you could spend a million dollars to bribe the people at WADA to just give your game a 9.8. <laughs> probably less. These guys are you could probably buy them off for way less. <laughs> um, <laughs> so. The, it goes on to say, the article goes on to say, the fact that 1.5 million doesn't quite add up has led to some more nefarious speculation, ranging from money laundering to collectors trying to inflate the market with targeted bids. Another simpler explanation is that a few different collectors just really wanted this particular copy of Mario 64 and were willing to empty their pocketbooks for it. If and until whoever had the winning bid breaks their silence, however, it'll be hard to know. The buyer and seller information isn't available on Heritage's website, and the auction house did not respond to a request for comment in time for publication. There is an update where they do, but before I get to that, I want to go back up to this a little bit. So this is something you see a lot, and it's, I hate to say it, um, and I don't, I don't mean this to come out in a rude way, but anybody who looks at this and goes, yeah, it's money laundering, and you get a bunch of likes instantly from people that don't like the fact that game prices are going up, Like, that's not how money laundering works. Um, Now, I don't really, I I don't have a money laundering operation, but it doesn't work like this. I don't know a lot about it, but I know this. It doesn't work like this. You spend a bunch of money on something that's over the value of the item. That's not how you launder money. 
Now, if you want to say something more accurate, you could say something like, it's possible that someone who has a, you know, treats these as an investment, they invest their money in it to like not have profits that year and maybe even hide money in it, expecting the price to go down so that when they sell it, they sell it for less and not have to pay as much taxes on it. Tax evasion is a much more reasonable, <laughs> like shady thing that these people are doing than money laundering. So we, so can we get off that? If, if you read this article and a friend's like, yeah, they're definitely laundering money, please like correct them and just be like, no, it's probably more of a tax evasion scheme than it is money laundering. Okay, <laughs> just like like shut them down because money laundering isn't like buying stuff that's overvalued or for buying something for way more than it's worth. Not how it works. Anyway, um, so the article got updated then a couple hours later. When asked who the bidders were, what safeguards are in place to prevent fraud, and how much money it makes off these record-breaking sales, a spokesman for Heritage Auctions responded via email. The email reads as claimed. Heritage will claim 20% of the total purchase price of the sale of the game. The hammer price was $1.3 million. The buyer's premium on this lot was 20%, bringing the actual price the buyer will pay to $1.5 well, $1 million. So, if you're doing quick math at home, Heritage Auction made $260,000 for selling this item. They made a quarter of a million dollars just for selling the item. Uh, it goes on to say, the email goes on to say, the winning bidder was vetted before they were eligible to cast a bid of this magnitude. Auction houses routinely vet clients prior to sales, and we verified this bidder was qualified. So they're trying to say, look, this guy had the money, or gal had the money. We verified it, and we let them bid. Okay, and they claim it's not somebody who works for them. Um, I can assure you this winning bid was made by a collector who is not related to the auction house in any way. What a weird thing to say. <laughs> why would you come out and say that if uh, if that wasn't going to be a question? Um, it was cast by an individual, independent citizen. Although the winning bidder does not wish to be identified at this time, this may change in the coming days or weeks. I'd really like to know who it is just to help verify that it is real. Um, because all this stuff, this just goes back to the whole thing talking about WADA back in the day. WADA and Heritage are, are like linked like this. WADA is the exclusive grader for Heritage. If you want to make a buttload of money, Heritage can just say, hey, Wada, we need an, an unrecognizable nine point. Like, we need we need something, man, to get some money. Wada can go, well, we got this Mario 64. It's a great shape. It was like a 9.6. I'll bump it up to a 9.8 A++. This thing will sell for 1.5 mil. Now, obviously, they don't know that. But them giving the game a better grade fetches them a higher price at Heritage brings all this attention to it all these people talk about it nimrods like me keep talking about it and spreading the mis you know spreading the information around everybody um keeping beating a dead horse and so we talk about it awada gets more notoriety right they get more popular than ever and then they keep doing it and then they make a bunch of money and it's fine because ultimately like who really cares um if if a bunch of people are doing this and then it causes people to get their games graded and then people buy those graded games for more money than they did it's fine. I don't have a problem with grading. Actually, I, I, I tweeted about this last night. I retweeted somebody because, um, uh, let's see here. So the, the NES complex on Twitter at NES complex. I don't, I don't know this person, but, uh, history teacher by day and make retrospectives about class video games by night. And he has 65,000 subs on YouTube. So good, uh, good for him. Uh, as a historian, I used to argue that preserving games through grading had 
and upside. I even said as much in an upcoming documentary, but I loathe what's happening here. I'm increasingly becoming anti-grading. I'd rather preserve the stories behind the games, which I actually, I, I have no problem with that. I respect that. But this is what I retweeted that and said. This is a fair point, but I don't think grading in general is the problem. It's the current front-running grading company and the shady price inflation that they are creating with the equally shady auction company. So grading isn't the problem. Great, I don't think grading's the issue so much as it's the manipulation of the market, of the graded market. So for instance, if there's a market for people who want highly collectible things, there's nothing wrong with that. Comic books are the same way. I have slabbed comic books. I have graded comic books, you know, and people make this weird argument like, well, why would you grade something, you know, like a video game? You can't ever open it and play it. Well, it's the same with the comic book. I can't ever open and read that, but I can read it a different way. I can get the story a different way. Same with my video games too. I don't have any graded video games. Um, not that I don't want any. I just don't collect sealed games typically. And I don't think I, I don't want to grade my non-sealed games because those I do feel like I would open and play someday. So it's just not for me. I don't think grading's bad though. And as a collector and as somebody who like, and again, I'm full disclosure, I own a video game store. So the sealed stuff I have in my store, I very much want to get graded because that increases the value of it. As a businessman, I have to say, well, people are paying more money for graded stuff. I'm going to pay a little bit of money to grade stuff so I can sell it for a lot of money later. I'm, it's just the business side of it. But as a collector side, I also just don't have an issue with it. Because if somebody wants to buy all these and put them on a shelf, who cares? You know, I mean, the price on a lot of these things are getting unattainable anyway um, for, for a lot of items. And so if... I'm trying to think how to say this like without coming off like really arrogant and rude, but it's like, it's just, if, if that's, if you don't like that, I mean, I'm just kind of like, that's just the way it's going, I guess. I don't know. I don't know what to say to that. You know, I don't, I mean, yes, I guess you can fight, fight it, but it's not going anywhere. Um, anything retro, anything vintage is going to have people that want graded sealed pieces as collecting pieces, not as pieces for practical use. It's just, that's how it's always been. It's comics. It's, I mean, coins and like, cards never really had any practical use but it's the same thing with pokemon cards now i mean they get them graded so that they can't you know you can't really use that in play because you know what card it is because it's got a big fat slab on it um but grading isn't the problem it's it's this weird manipulation of the market is the problem that i have so if you if you don't like grading there's nothing wrong with that either I, I'm, I'm totally fine with it it's just that i don't think that actual that that's not the issue the issue is that we've got this weird sort of relationship between two companies that are are profiting off of that manipulation um so my uh the final thing i'll say about this whole thing and then i'll move on is that there's a new uh there's a new company in play cgc was recently uh, had a majority stake purchased of their company by a much bigger company and they're investing in them hugely bigly hugely um they're uh, <laughs> they're putting a ton of money into them and they're going to start grading video games. They're actually hiring video game graders in their Florida offices. If I didn't have my own store and I didn't have like a life and everything around here, I would totally consider doing that. Uh, I would love to be a grader. I've actually thought about having my own grading service at my store. I've really considered it. Um, it's a whole other business and bag to get into, but uh, you know, so I, I, I am not going to, but I've always thought about it, especially now that CGC is getting into it. They have the ability with the huge investment they have behind them now and their growth they could crush WADA, and it would be amazing. Now, Heritage isn't going anywhere because they're a huge auction site. They don't just auction off video game stuff. They do they do anything pop culture. I mean, they do. I think they even do cars and stuff. Like, they do everything. They're just an auction site. They're just here reaping the benefits of, of the new hotness. And um, so when I look at this, I feel like there's ultimately two scenarios. One, 
there is this weird relationship where Heritage and WADA are just purposefully manipulating the market, selling back and forth to each other or to different people they know that have money, artificially driving up the prices so that one day they can sell more stuff and make more money. Very plausible, very realistic. The other possibility, though, is that they've essentially got these big fish on the line, right? They've got they've got these people with more, what I say, they have more dollars than cents. <laughs> and they, they have... Sorry for my UK listeners. <laughs> okay. They have more more pounds than pence. That doesn't make sense when I say it that way. <clears throat> um, and, uh, so they might have these people on the hook essentially, right? And so they know these people have a lot of money. They know they want to invest in something collectible. And they say, look, this Mario 64, and they're telling them all the things that they're telling these websites, right? There's less than five in these existence. This is the nicest one we've ever graded. There will probably never be a nicer one than this. And then, of course, the person you know, is being manipulated and they have a lot of money and they're like, okay, I better buy it. It's a good investment. Um, so I think actually a lot of these things that are selling for these prices now might still go up in value more, but there will absolutely be a crash and a, and a, and a bubble in this. Um, but what we reported on a couple of years ago was that a lot of people who aren't in the video game industry or into video games are the ones buying these things. There's a lot of comic book collectors, art collectors, and just a lot of, you know, investors essentially that are looking for that new the next pop culture thing that they're going to get on early ride the bubble sell off high and then move on to whatever's next whether it's hopefully for some people it's funko pops or beanie babies will come back who knows um but yeah that's ultimately the two possibilities either one they're doing something super shady or two they're also doing something shady but manipulating real people to buy these and and either one's not necessarily a great position in my opinion um, but yeah, that's a, uh, so that, that's a wild one, man. That's, that was, that was a quite the return to, uh, to my podcasting, uh, to my podcasting roots, uh, going after the game collectors and stuff, but hopefully y'all enjoyed that. That was uh, I had a lot of fun with that. Um, it, it was, it was good to be back and it's really good to be back. My throat is sore cause I'm not used to talking this long. Um, but it was good. And, uh, so I got to get something to drink, but I want to say thank you everybody as always for listening and watching. Remember, follow me on Twitter at game trade, Greg, um, subscribe on YouTube at youtube.com slash drop rate. You can follow us on Twitch, twitch.tv slash the drop rate. And don't forget that coming up around October ish, I will be doing my 24 hour live stream for charity. It's where we raise money for sick kids in the hospital. So if you don't help out, then you're a terrible person and you should feel bad. Um, no, I'm just kidding. But if you should come, if nothing else and come hang with me, I play games for 24 hours in a row, no breaks, uh, just so that I can raise money. Our goal this year is 10,000 bucks going to kids in the hospital. So, uh, thank you again to everybody. I'll, I'll be talking a lot about that in the coming months. So stay tuned. Um, and thank you. Uh, everybody who sent out nice things and said, Hey man, we miss you. Or, Hey, we want you to come back. Cause it was, um, it, it made a difference. It really did. And I, I, I had a lot of fun, man. It's good to be back. So I'll talk to you next week. Uh, maybe I'll talk to you next time. Have a good one. Bye-bye. <laughs>